about um, five years ago, my wife and I, and we're kind of baby boomers, and uh, that's pretty obvious. I'm, I'm one of the oldest people here tonight, not feeling it at all. Mm, no, not much. And uh, we do, you know, kind of baby boomers get to a certain stage of life where the kids are gone. Both of our kids are married. Luke is happily married, you please know, and no longer surfs on the roof of cars. He mar- married a very sensible, brilliant girl, exactly the girl Luke needed to marry. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Anyway, both our kids are married and our daughter's just given us our first grandson, which is awesome. Um, Not to keep, we keep giving him back and she takes him home. He's not old enough to give red cordial yet, but I'm looking forward to the day when I can give him red cordial and send him home with jelly beans and red cordial coursing through his veins. About five years ago, we kind of thought, you know, we're at that stage of life where every baby boomer says, why not have a bit more debt? Haven't got enough debt, let's get another 20 grand worth of debt and go to Europe and do a big holiday now. We don't have the kids at home smashing up the fridge. And so Di talks to me and she says, that would be nice, but you know, my mum's been talking to me. She's 80 now. She's traveled the globe and all sorts of different trips, but she's never been to Western Canada. She wants to do the Alaskan cruise, the Rockies Mountain train ride and the kind of Rocky Mountains. And she said, would you consider a month holiday Phil's feeling the pain already, with, with your mother-in-law. Oh, yeah. That's what I inwardly groaned before the Lord and said, uh, I need about six months to pray about this, honey. And I, I eventually said, yes, okay, all right, and we'll take my mother-in-law to Canada. And we did. And has anyone ever taken their mother-in-law on a month's holiday? Has anyone ever done that? Has anyone ever done that? Look, I... In heaven, there's going to be a special reserved huge crown area for guys who have taken their mother-in-law. What do you reckon, Phil? Take your mother-in-law on a month's holiday. My goodness. Anyway, we survived. I didn't throw mama off the train, plane, or any automobile. We got through the whole thing. Okay. But one of the things that we decided to do, we did a 10-day road trip. Uh, We did the train thing, we did the cruise thing and and everything and accumulated more debt. It's a wonderful thing, being a baby boomer. And we got to Banff, which is in the Rocky Mountains. We did a 10-day road trip back to Vancouver. It was an awesome trip, unbelievable, unbelievable uh, mountain drives and so on. And I found this thing on the net, uh, gypsy.com. And it's actually a a GPS system. It was in a PDA. It's four years ago in a PDA. And it was like a tour guide. So as you would be driving along, they would kind of tell you jokes about grizzly bear jokes and stuff like this. And they're going to tell you about the history of an area and stuff about the towns you're driving through. And there's a waterfall there. And in winter, we were there in summer. In winter, that waterfall ices up and guys climb the waterfall. So it was like having a tour guide. And it's kind of left-hand drive. So I, I kind of thought, you know, if I got my wife sitting there and my mother-in-law in the back... I'm probably going to get enough navigation aid that will run us off the road sometime. So I'll get this GPS system. And it was kind of amazing. Uh, at one point of, of the Rockies, you cross the Continental Divide, which means that rivers are running uh, at one time to the Pacific. And then the next minute, you just go over a little, oh, there you go, and they're running now to Hudson Bay, going exactly the opposite way. And this tour thing tells you, sometimes it's a lady, sometimes a guy. What, one of the roads was a beautiful alpine drive towards Whistler and kind of steep hills and running waters, just magnificent. But the road was a mess, was potholes and broken areas. And I'm driving along, I'm saying, this is a magnificent drive, but, but there's potholes and the road's just totally broken. About five minutes later, across the GPS, there comes a voice. You may be wondering why there are so many potholes and such a broken road. And I thought, 
Man, it's the CIA have broken in on the car. They've been listening to me all the way. And they explain to us that every winter the ice and the snow smash the road, and they just can't keep up to date with the maintenance. But the great thing about this device was not only the stories and the jokes and the cultural stuff, is they would warn you ahead of time of where to take the turns, to see the best scenic outlooks, to see the waterfalls. And it would say, in one kilometre on the right-hand side, there's a scenic drive. You don't have to take this road. You can stay on the highway. But if you take this road, two kilometres down it, you'll find a car park and a 15-minute walk to a magnificent waterfall. In 500 metres, if you take the right-hand turn, you're going to see this magnificent... In 250 metres, and we kind of go, do we trust the voice? What do we do here? Should we just kind of keep going? Or on this brilliant 10-day road trip, on this journey through land we've never been before, should we, take, should we take the chance? We turn right down the scenic drive. No joke. Within 100 meters, it would come on and say, good choice. <laughs> Seriously. It's a brilliant device. And it's kind of not available around the world, but if you ever go to Western Canada and you do a bit of car, get one of these things. It was brilliant. It kind of elevated the journey into a whole other level of appreciation and understanding. And I, I love the truth and the fact that this, um, and Andrew has kind of taken us through a bit of a journey there with Isaac and that, the guy with the crazy name of Bimelech. And this whole sense of, of walking with God is not just a one-day event. It's not just a falling from crisis to crisis, but it actually is a road trip. It's a journey. Sometimes it's a sprint where you're going really hard and you sense the power and anointing of God. Other times it's a crawl. Other times it's plod with God. Other times a marathon, the sense of just, just hanging in for the long haul. And I want to take you to a little passage in Luke 9. It's really been burned in my heart in the last few years. And, and Luke's a fascinating writer because basically Luke wrote two books. It's 26% of the New Testament, Luke and Acts. He wrote the book of Acts, not called Luke 2. Should be, but it's not. And he takes a whole journey of Jesus. And it kind of flows right towards Jerusalem. And then the book of Acts flows out from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. And the two, the two books basically, primarily, are a road trip of Christ heading to the cross and then the news of the cross going out across the globe. And I want to take you to when this really kicks in, in Luke 9, and share with you a few things about the journey of walking with Christ. You ready for this? If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Luke 9. I'm using old technology. This is called paper. Uh, some of you have got new technology. You've got a phone. Phone's good. Tablet's good. iPad's good. Anything's good. But if, if you want old technology, this is the stuff to buy it. And I said to my church um, last week, I, I love hearing the pages turning in church, but there's going to come a day when you won't hear anything turning except a phone running at a battery. That's not going to be a good thing if you're preaching. Luke 9, verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And, and Luke gives us a bit of a hint here, a bit of a tip that a, a journey is starting, a road trip is happening towards Jerusalem. He sent messages on ahead. He went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Uh, the Samaritans hated the Jews. They were, they were typical. It's a bit like Kiwi Australia sort of deal. Who's from New Zealand here? You know, there's kind of this kind of, there's a little bit of angst. You go to New Zealand, preach in New Zealand and mention Trevor Chapel. 
you're probably too young to remember that, aren't you? Yeah, but yeah, Garth, you kind of know it. Yeah, you kind of. Um, but it was worse than that. Samaritans hated Jewish people. A lot of, a lot of neighbourhoods are like this. Serbian, Croatia. You think of Irish Catholic, Irish Protestant, and there was this deep hatred. And the Samaritan said, you're a Jew. We don't have anything to do with you. Verse 54, when the disciples James and John saw this, and John was probably about 17 or 18. Anyone about 17 or 18 here tonight? Who's 17 or 18? Who's a guy Guy with the, the Dickies T-shirt on? Can you stand up? John looked like that. What, what's your name, man? Matt? Max? Max? So, you know, sometimes we get this idea of Bible guys had long beards and going to look like this, but... Say Sandy Max for a minute. Thank you for helping me. That's what John looked like. Just kind of like a fresh-faced, young, tear-away sort of guy. Just carving it up in life. Thanks, Max. You can be sued. Please give Max a hand for helping the preacher out tonight. Thank you. So that's how all these guys were. And they're just young tear-aways. And so James and John get offended for Jesus' sake. And they ask, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Good Christians, eh? Jesus nicknamed them. He had a nickname for them. Anyone know their nickname? Sons of thunder. All noise and bluster. Sons of thunder. No power, no light. Just... And the funny thing is about this is as if they could. It's like, Lord, you want us to barbecue these guys? And I can imagine Jesus just rolling his eyes going, oh my goodness, they've been down at the Elijah School of Prophetic Ministries calling down fire seminar again and think, oh, I'm just going to... It's just, it's just, Max, I can see you all that sort of, hey, let me at it, whatever's going on, yeah, yeah, barbecue, yeah. I would have loved it if Jesus said, okay, have a go. Come on, give it your best shot. Oh, it's not working today. What's wrong with this finger? Jesus... You know, no wonder we need a journey. John eventually became known in his writings. If you read his, his writings, he wrote the gospel. Uh, it's in the right order there. The fourth gospel was written later in his life. He just picked seven miracles of Jesus, and based all his gospel around those seven miracles. Then he wrote those magnificent epistles where he said, hey, a new commandment I give to you. Actually, it's an old one, but I'm calling it new. Why don't we love each other? There's an idea. Here's a guy who wanted a barbecue. <laughs> he said, I've got, got a new idea. How about love? You know, a journey will take us to a place of connection with Christ in a way that deeply changes who we are and how we look at our neighbor and how we look at the people that we once saw as enemies and hated and resented and were bitter about. The work of Christ is to transform us into people that say, you know what? I don't think we should barbecue anyone. I actually think we should love them. I think we should reach for them. I think we should try a new deal. I thank God that over nearly 40 years I've been following Christ. I thank God for his mercy and his kindness and his patience and his long-suffering with me. That he say, okay, John Finkeldy, we're going to do a long journey. I thank God for his everlasting, infinite patience with me. That he say, we're going to do a journey, a road trip. It's going to take some time for you to become the man I want. It doesn't happen overnight. I wish, I really wish that I, I could just kind of pull you out of the crowd and zap you with my magic Western Australian wand and go, ding, and shoo, wow, there I am, I've arrived. 
It's a journey. Your pastors have been on this road with Christ for many decades, serving the Lord faithfully, following Jesus Christ. I met Phil um, last year at a real men's um, lunch before the conference and just chatting and just enjoyed his company. And so the opportunity came to come and meet uh, Julie and meet the church. and just. Kind of, I like hanging out with people who have lasted the long haul, who have said, hey, I'm good for the journey, for the road trip. I'm not just good for an event. I'm here for a, for a period of time. And we need a journey to get our hearts connected where God wants us to go. So Jesus tells him off and they went to another village and you have this sense of ongoing journey. Boy, Jesus would tell you off, wouldn't you? As they were walking along the road, and Luke keeps dropping these hints. And if you're a bit bored with your Bible, anyone here ever get bored with the Bible occasionally? Okay, it's just you and me. I've got my hand up. Most of us get bored with the Bible. If you're kind of not reading anything at the moment in the Bible, why don't you start from where I started and just read 10 chapters and get the feel of a trip, a journey, a road trip, going somewhere, movement in your life. It will trigger something in your life. So they're walking along the road, and a man said to him, now I reckon this, um, you can tell by his words, I reckon this is a guy like Max. I'm going to pick on you now, man, sorry. <sighs> Who's your mate next to you? Martin. Martin. Max and Martin. I could be really naughty right now, but I just won't do that. Okay, I'm going to pick on Martin. How old are you, Martin? Don't ask. Hey, man, I'm the old guy here tonight. You don't have to worry. Seriously. Okay, I'm trying to figure out what that might mean. I'm married. That means I'm having sex. You're not married. You're not having sex. Is that the deal or... I'm trying to just follow the train of thought here, man. Is Martin married? He's not married? Okay, you're not having sex. I'm getting sex. You're not, man. It's kind of like... Martin, who's the guy sitting next to you? Who's that? Ollie. Max, Martin and Ollie. Ollie, how old are you? 19. Good on you, man. How old's Martin? 25. Is he 25? You don't look that old, man. You look kind of, you're doing well. Country guy. Good fresh air. I'm sorry, Martin. Forgive me. I've been naughty. I have sinned. Cleanse me. Amen. Anyway, there's a little tip for you. If you're not married, don't have sex. It will... This is my only time I've ever come to Tugger. I'm getting it all out here tonight. I am serious, man. If you're not married, don't have sex. It'll stuff you up completely and utterly. It'll mess. It'll mess. I don't know why people are laughing. This is great preaching. <laughs> if you're married, have all the sex that you want to. Amen. With your spouse. Let's go to the Song of Solomon. It's more fun over there. Come on. <laughs> okay, Ollie, you're 19. Now, this next statement here is I picture a young guy like Ollie, Martin or Max kind of standing in the crowd as Jesus is on this road trip. So he's out on the open road. He's got his disciples with him and he's heading there. And a young Ollie yells out, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, Phil, Phil and I are older. That's Phil, Pastor John. We're just on the other side of 35. And so we wouldn't yell this out. We've been around too long. I will follow you wherever you go is a young man's statement. 
It's a statement of passion and heart. When you're young, you just want to be God, whatever. I'm up for it. I'm good for it. When you're old dudes like me, you go, uh, where are you going? (laughs) Where are you going before I say that? But uh, first century Jews would often do this when a rabbi walked past with his disciples. Jesus wasn't the only guy who wandered around with groups of guys and kind of preaching and ministering and so on. Young guys would often yell and say, I'll follow you wherever you go as a commitment to a lifestyle. And then Jesus responds with what I think is very strange words. Jesus replied, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, if you've been around the church a while, you would have heard that phrase. Wow, that's really cool. That's deep. But honestly, you know, Pastor Phil said, you know, I need some help here. And Ollie would say, yeah, I'm up for it. Come on, Pastor Phil, whatever you want me to do. And, and Pastor Phil stood up and said, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. And I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. Ollie would say, um, uh, Andrew, I might follow you. There's a better option around here. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. Yes, I think I know this. Is this a biology lesson? But I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight. What? Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. But I don't know. In a few hours, I'm going to lay my head down. Now, for 30 years, I laid my head down in my home in Nazareth, the bed my mum made. And I knew where that pillow was. And every night, in a place of security and safety, but Ollie, you want, you, want to, you want to follow me? You know, there's little foxes running out in the scrub there. They've got somewhere to go tonight. There's little birds out there. They've got a little, little nest. They've got, they've got somewhere to go tonight. But you want to follow me? No guarantees, Ollie. No gilt edge guarantee here I, I, I don't I don't even you, you, know, you think I know where I'm going I don't even know where this head is going to go down tonight the Christian life is not designed to be a life of lockdown comfort and a sense of I know exactly what's going to roll out the Christian life is designed to be a life of risk it's designed to be a, a life where you step out at times into water, not knowing how you're going to be held up at all. It's a life of challenge. It's a life where there is nothing guaranteed. Jesus said, Ollie, you want to follow me? Foxes have holes. Somewhere to go. Birds have got nests, but you're going to have to have a little bit of trust and a little bit of faith and a willingness to step into the unknown and follow a voice that sometimes tells you to turn right when you don't know what's down that street. Sometimes a voice that says, just hold it right there because there's something beautiful to see if you'll take the chance to have a look. And are you willing to trust me? Are you willing to believe? And in this, this moment with this young man, 
Jesus captures the essence of what it is to be a Christian. It's a life of trust. It's a life of faith. Now, trust is different to faith. They're not the same thing. They have similarities, but there's differences in their anatomy, in their makeup. If Phil came to me tonight and said, um, you know, John, can I borrow 100 bucks? I said, sure, let's find an ATM, pull out 100 bucks, all yours, no worries. I don't carry that much cash, but I'll give you that cash. I know Phil well enough. I've had lunch with him, hung with him tonight. That's cool enough for me. I know his reputation. I know some of his friends. 100 bucks, no problem. Now, Ollie, um, if, no, Martin, we'll pick on Martin. No, no, I've picked on Martin well enough. Max, if Max came up to me after me and said, oh, great message, Pastor John. You know, you're talking about giving away 100 bucks. Can I have 100 bucks? I would say, Max, you know, I just didn't really meet you. Actually, I just picked on you. I don't know you. Therefore, I don't trust you. No, you can't have a hundred bucks. Trust is not some naive, let everything roll into your heart and just rely on anybody. Trust is based on knowledge. I'll trust Phil because I know him well enough. Ollie, Max, Martin, you guys might be the most gracious, amazing people of integrity in this church. Possible. But I don't know you. And trust is built out of a knowledge. I only trust people I know. People I don't know, I don't trust them. If I know someone who knows them really well, I'll go out on that reputation. But otherwise, it's naive to trust people you don't know. It's silly. It's simplistic. It's foolish. It's childish. You have to learn as a Christian to protect your heart and not just trust anybody. So here's the wonderful thing. The more you get to know God, the more you get to know Him, His Word, His presence, His power, the more you get to trust Him. I was praying uh, once when, when Luke was born. Luke was born two months premature. When he was born, he could fit in my hand. And he was very uh, ill. He was in hospital for a month. And uh, during that month, if, if, you've ever, if you've ever been a parent, when you get to be a parent, a whole bundle of you become parents one day, which is a glorious experience, you're going to discover that when your kids are ill or upset or something, you don't sleep too well. So I was up during a month just kind of didn't sleep too well. And one night I'm in just in a lounge room and I don't normally do, the, do this, but I'm pacing up and down and praying, crying out to God. And I'd known the Lord about 10 years at this stage. And people say, oh, you should trust God about him. And I'd go, yeah, yeah, trust God. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really know what they meant. I kind of heard the words, but kind of got an idea, but not really. And so I'm, I'm in the lounge room and I'm praying. I'm saying, God, my son's ill. I don't want, I've got a daughter. I want a son. I want a son I can play sport with. I want a son that I can wrestle with. I want a son who can surf on the top of a car at Bible college and that story keep repeating for decades in my life. <laughs> I want a son who's a bit out there and like that. I love that about my son. He's a great, gorgeous boy. But Lord, whether he lives, God forbid, whether he dies, I'll trust you. That's a, that is the very best outcome in the situation. I won't understand it, but I know you well enough that you love me, that you love Diane, my wife, you love Erin, my daughter, you love my parents, you love all our church, you love all, all the people who would be impacted by Luke's death. I know you. Therefore, whatever the outcome is, in my eyes, you will still be good. 
and I'll be good with you. You know, you know what trust is? Trust is sitting down. It's saying, I can't carry this load anymore. Oh. I can't carry it. I've got to get this load off my feet. This thing is just bearing down on me, and I don't know how to carry it, and I'm not sure if I can believe for a great outcome. Four years ago, I had cancer and uh, battled with cancer for a year. And during that time, I couldn't believe. I didn't have faith. Other people had faith for me to get through it, which I did, thank God. But I couldn't believe. But you know what I, I knew I could do? It's God, I trust you. Whatever the outcome, you're good. I'm good with you. There's no dramas here. You're a good God. Whatever the outcome, that's trust. Trust has taken the load off your feet sitting down and going I'm not God amen you are I'm going to rely on you I can lean on you I can depend upon you you are trustworthy and you don't um, this is why journey is such a good thing it's worth hanging around church you're going to get ticked off in church sometimes you're going to get upset Pastor Phil's going to upset you sometimes Pastor Julie's going to upset you someone's going to tread on your toes sometimes but my wife got saved in our church 1969 42 years I've been there fairly re recently I've only been there 37 years combined total of nearly 80 years in one church if you hang around long enough you, you see God as trustworthy God's reliable. You can lean on him. You can depend upon him. And, and tonight, before we finish, some of you, I'm going to get you to some of you just to sit down to rely on God for that thing that's just eaten away, that's bugging you, that's sitting on you. Now, faith, well, faith's a whole different kettle of fish because if you just spend your whole life on your butt, you're not going to do much. Faith's a whole different thing. Faith is, a, is not a sit-down thing. It's a, it's a front-foot thing. It's kind of getting up and at it and saying, God, this is how faith works. Faith is different to trust. Faith, faith is a partnership with God. I, I don't have faith in things. I have faith in Christ. My faith is not a certain thing happening or a certain word come to pass. My faith is in God and me partnering together, acting together, working together, actively seeking the outcome that he wants in a matter and that I want. So when, when faith operates, so uh, four years ago when I was going through the cancer thing and trusting God with that, we were going through a whole other financial pressure on our lives, come from a certain area of our life, and that was bearing down on us. My goodness, it was, it, was, um, it was unpleasant. And even though I was kind of a bit emotionally depleted, to say the least, with cancer, I decided, you know what, God, I can work with you. I can partner with you. We can see this thing turn around. We can see this thing change. And I remember saying, Lord, Lord, have a look at this deal over here. Check it out. This is the pressure. This is the situation. This is what it looks like. But God doesn't have to look like that. He can look like this. Lord, how about you and I work on this thing together? We can change what that feels like so it doesn't feel like that anymore. It can feel like this. Lord, there's a word over this thing that doesn't... It's not a good word. It's poverty. It's bankruptcy. It's not saying nice things. God, I see the word over this thing as prosperity. I see this word over this thing as life. 
Faith is a thing that you interact with God, but you don't sit down, you get on the front foot and say, Lord, this has got to shift. This has got to change. This can't stay the same as it is. God, I see that like it is. Let's be real, Lord. It looks pretty ugly at the moment. But God, it could look like this. Sometimes people get disappointed with faith because the things that they kind of believe for don't come to pass. And sometimes I think the problem is how we activate our faith. We actually put our faith in that thing. And God says, "Uh uh-uh, put your faith in me. Because I find when, when that kind of faith thing doesn't come off, if that drops to the ground, I go, okay, God, what's the deal here? What are you trying to teach me on the road trip? What's the thing I meant to learn at the moment? Don't have faith in things coming to pass. Have faith in God's ability to bring things to pass. Keep it personal. Keep it connected. Keep it relational. Keep it real. Keep it about you and Jesus Christ, not about you and things happening. Don't shift your faith to things. Faith in God brings pleasure to his heart. And I saw that thing over our finances. It took a while. It took about 12, 18 months. And sometimes you've got to stay with a thing until you shift it, until you move it. I think sometimes, and this is our laconic, kind of laid-back Australian sort of deal, I think sometimes we just put up with stuff for too long. Sometimes we just live with stuff. And sometimes it's a matter of discerning and your maturity as you grow. You say, well, is this something I should just trust God on? Or is this something I should get front-footed on? And I think you need to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit and say, you know what, on this matter, I'm just going to trust God. You know, I, I find that when I can't get to a level of faith in the Lord about something, I go to trust. And that's how I discern the difference. Sometimes something rises up within me and I go, you know what, I've had enough of this. Sick of this. I know I'm not meant to sit down and trust God. It's me kind of going, well, this shouldn't be like this. I go, Lord, come on, you and me, come on, come on. We've taken on plenty of giants over four decades. Come on, we can take this on. God, we can change this. We can turn this around. You and me together, what a team. My goodness, not all upon me, but you and me together. My God, we can stand up and make a difference here. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. There's no guarantees. But if your trust is in Christ, if your faith is in Christ, then whatever happens when you take that right-hand turn, Christ is right there. Right there. Why don't you close your eyes?